Good morning, everyone. My name's Si. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church. It's my joy to speak to you in this rather surreal time that we find ourselves in. I'm not sure how you're finding the lockdown, but myself, I'm hating it. I, I'm a social person, really. I like being with people. You know, it's... Um, this coronavirus that we find, uh, this current pandemic that we find ourselves facing, didn't take God by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. And actually, it's causing people who have put their trust in other things than him to stop and think. It's causing them to contemplate the questions, some of the bigger questions of life, and indeed, death and life after death. And this actually is a, is a good thing that is happening as a byproduct of this terrible pandemic that is happening. It's a time for us to reassess our lives and uh, what we are living for and whom we are living for in particular. So can I encourage you, please, use this time to reflect, to pray and to seek God as to what you are living for, whom you're living for, what choices you're making in your life. Is your life built around good things like your marriage, your family, and indeed things of eternal significance? You see, Jesus warns us quite clearly in Mark chapter 8. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man, he says, if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? So use the time wisely. Today, anyway, we're going to be looking, uh, continuing in our series on the Sermon of the Mount. Rob Williams next week will conclude this sermon for us. But today I've entitled the message that we are recognized by our fruits. You see, over the last few weeks, as we've looked at Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, we've seen how Jesus is addressing his disciples on what are the fruits of a life of somebody who's turned away from living for themselves to living for Jesus. In our passage today, Jesus uh, is beginning to close his message on the Sermon on the Mount. And he recaps three things. How we are to treat others, what we are to, uh, the way we are to go in life, and how we believe, how what we believe affects how we live. So let's look at this together in Matthew chapter 7. And we'll start in, in verse 12 and see how we should treat others as followers of Jesus. So Matthew 7 verse 12 says to us, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's so appropriate, isn't it, that verse for us at this time when we're unsure how and what it looks like to be a good neighbor at this, this time. Whatever you would wish others do to you, do to them also. It's, of course, very similar to another passage, uh, um, another quote that Jesus is well known for saying, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if you're poorly, what would you like someone to do to you? Would you like them to maybe deliver food for you, look out for you, ring, ring you, 
then make sure you do that for other people. If you're lonely and feeling a bit down, would you like someone to ring and encourage you? Yes, of course you would. So why don't you make sure you're doing that for other people too? The great 16th century theologian John Calvin says this about this verse. Where our own advantage is concerned, there is not one of us who cannot explain minutely and ingeniously what ought to be done. If if there's a way that you knew that could guarantee that you wouldn't get COVID-19, you'd want to be told about it, wouldn't you? Well, how much more should we as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, tell people the glorious truth of the gospel which saves them from a far worse pandemic than COVID-19. It saves them from sin and death. Remember, in this, in this passage, Jesus is addressing primarily his disciples and is saying this verse should be a fruit of knowing him, of following him. It's not a way that we make ourselves right with God. Well, it's a good principle to live by, but it's not how we get right with God. It's a natural fruit of following Jesus. The way we get right with God, Jesus goes on to address in verse 13 to 14. He says this in verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, And those who find it are few. What way are we trying to live on in our life? The way that we are born naturally actually leads to destruction. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that by nature we are children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. The wide gate, the broad way represents all mankind naturally born living for ourselves, our pleasures, our desires, even our own religious pursuits and efforts. You know, the religious folks of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they were called, and actually many world religions today would teach that by our own efforts, if we're just good enough, if we just try hard enough, we can make ourselves good enough for God. Jesus however, is very clear that this is not possible. He says, there is no one good except God. So how does one get off the wide path and enter through the narrow gate and travel along that hard way that leads to eternal life? Jesus is the answer. He says this in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can get to heaven. No one can be saved except through Jesus. You see, Christ makes it very clear that we by ourselves in our own efforts are completely unworthy of God. 
We have no way of making ourselves acceptable to him. We deserve his judgment for how we have treated God primarily, but also how we've treated our fellow man as well. And yet, because God loves you, he has made a way through Jesus for you to know him for your friendship, your relationship with him to be restored. Jesus was the only one who lived a perfect life, fully pleasing God. And yet in love, he chose to come down to earth and die on a cross for you and me, taking on himself the punishment of God that was due us. And then for those who put their faith in him, we can receive his righteousness given to us as a gift. Rather than in our arrogance imagining that we can somehow uh, please God, that we can somehow be good enough to God, we come to him humbly and, and recognize our complete need for Jesus, our need to be forgiven. This is how we enter through the narrow gate. It's not by some works that we do. It's by believing in Jesus and surrendering to him. Jesus said this when he was asked the question, what, what good work do we do to, to enter eternal life? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And when we do that, then we can truly start living for God, following Jesus' lead in our life, which is a much better way. It is a way to eternal life. It is a harder way, definitely. Jesus actually promises us that. But we are no longer, because we're no longer living for ourselves. We're, we're living for God. That, that's difficult in itself, having to put someone above us. And Jesus promises us that we will face all sorts of troubles and difficulties and trials as we follow him. People may dislike you. They may speak badly against you. They may even mistreat you. Life itself seems to, when you follow Jesus, throw all sorts of difficulties your way as well. But the Apostle Paul comforts us with these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then later on in that same chapter, he goes on to write these wonderful words. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And of course, the good he's talking about there is not a physical thing here and now. It's a spiritual good. As the passage goes on to tell us that we will be transformed into the glorious likeness of Jesus. It's an eternal good he's talking about as we will spend eternity with God, where God himself will wipe away every tear from our, from our eyes. And he himself will reward us for every act of faith that we've done. Every time we've trusted him through difficult times and through hardships, God will reward us for that. Even in this current pandemic, as we trust him, God will reward us. It's a little bit like this. You know, you're walking along a road with, a, with everybody else and you're going to a, a destination, you don't really know where, you're just following everyone else. And someone comes to you and says, says, look, actually, there's a much better way. If you go up to the top of that hill up there, life is much, much 
better. You're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that, that, seems, that seems right. How, how do I get there? Well, you go through that narrow gate just over there and you stay on the path, follow the path, and that will lead you all the way up to the top of the hill. It'll be harder, but it'll be worth it. You're like, okay, great, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll believe you, I'll follow you on that and so you, I'll follow your advice. And so you, you go through that narrow gate and you think, oh yeah, I can sort of see the path. I'll, I'll follow this path. And you, you start walking along the path and you enter the, the woods and it starts going uphill. And you think, oh, I'll be up, up to the top of this hill in, in no time. It is a little bit harder, but I can already see the benefits of this. And you're walking along happily. And then all of a sudden, a wolf comes along and it jumps out and it takes you, ah, ah, and you run off, ah, 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 and you run, ah, and then you suddenly think, oh no, I've lost the path. Where, where am I supposed to go? Well, I sort of that direction, so I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make my way. Oh, this looks like it might be the path. And you think, yes, yeah, actually it's going the right direction. Yes, I'm back on the path. That's great, good. I'll be up to the top of the hill in no time. Oh, there's a good few bits of fruit here that I can enjoy along the way. You're happily minding your own business as you're going up the hill. And then all of a sudden out of the bush comes a snake. And a snake comes to get you. Ah, 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 and you have to run away from the snake and you run out and you lose the path again. You think, oh no, I'm lost again. Where am I supposed to go? Oh, I'll get this way's up. I'll, I'll try this way. And you walk along that and you say, oh yes, I'm on the path. And you eventually, you make it to the top of the hill. And when you look down, you can see that that nice, easy road that you were on led to destruction. And then you can see the path that you took. And you can see that where that wolf was, if that wolf wasn't there, that wolf that caused you so much difficulties and trials, if that wolf wasn't there, that just beyond that, there was a whole load of treats there that you would have been distracted with, but actually it was a trap that would have ensnared your life. And then you'll see that the new path that you found yourself on was still actually the same path, the right path to the way of the top. And where that snake was, if the snake hadn't have been there, you'd have gone along a path that led to a dead end. And that snake was there to make you turn a different way so that you would make it to the top of the hill. And it's like that in life my friends. We can trust Jesus. He knows how to lead your life better than you ever could yourself. Finally, my friends, how, I want to look at how what we believe affects how we live. And we can see this in these last verses in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You see where I got the title of my message from now. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's key to note that. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Firstly, Jesus tells his disciples to weigh what everyone teaches by the fruits of their life. Is their life pointing towards a life lived for Jesus along the right path, or is it pointing somewhere else? Are they themselves becoming more Christ-like in their character, or is something else manifesting in their life? Are they submitting their lives more to God's written word in the Bible, or are they basing it on other things? The famous 20th century preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this about these verses. A man who has a divine nature within himself must produce good fruit. The good fruit which is described in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. You see, we have a saying, don't we, in the UK, that actions speak louder than words. You see, people say all sorts of things, but if you want to find out what they truly believe, you look at how they live their lives. People can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm an honest guy. Well, uh, as long as it doesn't, uh, as long as it means, uh, as long as it doesn't cost me anything financially, people might say, well, my word is my, is my rock. I'm, I'm true to my word always. Well, like that. As long as it doesn't, you know, as long as you'll never know, then I might actually change how I, how I behave. People might say, oh, I'm, I'm all about the family. And yet you spend all your time in the workplace. Others might say, God is first in my life, definitely. Well, as long as it doesn't inconvenience the other things that I want to do. Someone's actions speak much louder than what they say. It shows what they truly believe, what they're truly living for. My friends, you will know them by their fruits, Jesus says. And secondly, he tells us we will know ourselves by our fruits. That's what Jesus is going on to address in these verses 21 to 23, where he says things like, uh, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, if you're truly living for Jesus then the fruit that you will see growing in your life is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This passage in Matthew uh, 7, chapters, uh, verses 21 to 23 have caused some people to have anxiety as to who is it that Jesus is talking about when he says, I, I never knew you. And as I said, the key thing to note in that verse is, he says, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. The, the late theologian John Stott on these verses says this, the people Jesus is describing here are relying for salvation on a creedal, affirmation on what they say to or about Christ 
Lloyd-Jones on these verses says, the moment we begin to rest our faith solely upon a repeated formula without being sure that we are regenerate, that's born again, and that we have evidence of the life of God within us, we are exposing ourselves to this terrible danger of self-delusion. That is why whilst here at Christchurch we love the truth that's in the creeds, we're not, or many of the creeds, we're not a creedal church in that way. We don't repeat creeds each week. You see, there's a real danger in trusting in having correct doctrine like it's some magic formula or a correct way of praying like it's some magic formula rather than trusting Jesus Christ. Correct doctrine by itself cannot save you any more than good works. Jesus said to the Pharisees, who were, were you know, ardent people of trying to have correct doctrine, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And you refuse to come to me so that you would have life. And yet, when it comes to his disciples, Jesus prays this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, salvation, is born out of relationship, not correct doctrine. Now, don't get me wrong, we need good theology. We love good theology here at Christchurch. But knowing the truth itself does not save you. The demons know the truth about God. It is a relationship with God that we have, the the relationship with the author of life that we have through faith in Christ Jesus that leads to life eternal. Supernatural signs aren't a substitute, this passage would make clear, for a true relationship with God either. Because even the devil has power, the Bible tells us, to do signs and wonders. Judas Iscariot, Jesus' disciple who betrayed him, was, would appear to have done some uh, signs and wonders in Jesus' name as well. And yet, and yet he was a thief. That was the fruit of his life. And then a betrayer. It is a direct and immediate presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, who enters your life when you surrender it to Jesus. He's the one who causes you to be born again into God's family so that you can cry, Abba, Father, my Daddy. He's the one who's a fruit and is a sign of you truly belonging to God. The Bible says this, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to study his word and to know it. Indeed, all that we need to know about God is in this book. So let's be people of this book. But they are there to point you to Jesus, so that you know him and you may grow in your friendship, in your relationship with him as you live life for him. And the fruit of a friendship with Jesus is that you become more 
and more like him because that is what his Holy Spirit inside of you wants to produce. So, my friends, as I finish, in these difficult days, as Jesus' disciples, let's stand out as a beacon of hope, serving the world around us, not giving in to fear because of this current pandemic or anything else that may come our way. Because we're not living for this world. We're living for eternity. Let's seize this opportunity that God is allowing to shake our proud nation and point people back to Jesus, showing ourselves to be his disciples by the fruit of how we live our lives, demonstrating his love to others as we serve them as we would like to be served ourselves. And think of them not just thinking of ourselves as so many people sadly are in, at this time. Jesus says, you will be recognized by your fruits. Does the fruit of your life show that you love Jesus? I hope it does. I'm sure it does for many. Let's continue to follow God, to love him, to press into all he has got for us. God bless you. It's been my privilege to speak to you this morning. If you're watching this and actually you don't know Jesus and you're thinking, yeah, I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, then just pray this short prayer with, with me and you can know that eternal life, that you can have the hope of eternal life that I've been talking about. Just pray this along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I have done wrong. And through the, your Holy Spirit, help me live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Speak to you soon.